Hey Horror Fiends, it's Tim Levin here from the UK. I'm delighted to be an author guest at Horror on Main. Really hope you can join us there. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be scary. There's going to be lots of books for sale. Oh, it's going to be glorious. So I hope, really hope to see you there. I'm looking forward to it so much. Be scary. Keep reading. Be safe. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See HorrorOnMain.com for details. Hi, I am Erica T. Worth, author of the indigenous literary horror uh, novel White Horse, which is out now with Flatiron Macmillan. And it is about Carrie, who is an urban Indian woman who loves heavy metal and loves horror, but despises her mother because she believes that her mother abandoned her when she was two days old. And when her uh, her cousin Debbie discovers an ancient bracelet of her mother's and uh, Carrie touches the bracelet, um, her mother's ghost begins to haunt Carrie and a monster invades her dreams. And Carrie decides that she needs to find out what happened to her mother after all. Um, and some of the inspiration for this novel is urban Indian life in Denver, Colorado. And it's also just, you know, my love of heavy metal and horror, which was something where I went to school in Idaho Springs, people loved. And it's also a love song to old Denver. Hey, it's Well Red Beard. Uh, I appreciate you being here. I'm back full time on my channel. I would love for you to come over and subscribe. Just search Well Red Beard on YouTube. Um, I delve deep into horror. I've spent the last three years uh, reading a ton of independent small press horror. There's treasure to be found there, and I go out there and find it for you. I, I'm not afraid to tell you the books that aren't great while telling you the books that are great. I don't break hearts or hurt feelings, but if a book doesn't work for me, I will tell you that and I'll tell you why. I'm on a new mission now to to go back and dig into some great horror from the 80s and 90s. I'm working my way through Robert McCammon's books. I'm going to look at all of Peter Straub's work. I'm going to do uh, Brian Keene. I've got aspirations to go back and do J.F. Gonzalez. A lot of the greats. So you have a good idea of where to start. I have a video up for J.F. Gonzalez's Survivor, so you can see what all the fuss is about. I recently read Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, so you can see what all the fuss is about. Uh, I just want you to come over and subscribe. I'm trying to grow the thing. I appreciate you taking a look at it. This is Well Read Beard. I hope you're enjoying all your books as much as I am. If not, you're reading the wrong damn books. I'm David Demchuk the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams. We have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story, and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. Welcome to Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, we are joined by our co uh, guest host, Rond uh, R.J. Joseph. How are you? Uh, what would you like to be called on this episode? I'm good. You can call me Rhonda. It's probably easier. <laughs> That's how I started. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. And we, <laughs> we were talking to the wonderful Tanana Reeve. Do say hello, Tanana Reeve. Hello, 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 everybody. (laughs) 
And I'm going to start with the baseline question, then Rhonda, please jump in. Uh, how what got Tanitari, What got you into uh, horror? Wow. Well, I actually probably <laughs> didn't have much of a choice because probably like everybody on this podcast today, uh, I was exposed to it as a child. You know, and I think as kids, you either really, really take to it or you really, really don't take to it. And uh, I, I took to it. You know, my mom, um, the, there's a poster behind me that you can't really see unless you have the video. But uh, for a book I wrote with my mom uh, called Freedom in the Family, a mother-daughter memoir of the fight for civil rights. And you might think, huh, well, what does that have to do with horror? Well, she was my first horror fan She in my life. She was the one who had me watching those creature features. She was the one who got me my first Stephen King novel when I was 16, which would be The Shining. And she was super, super supportive of me being a writer, whatever I wanted to write. And I don't think it's a coincidence that she loved horror and was in the civil rights movement, let's just say, mm -hmm. because... I think we've started to figure out more that for a lot of horror fans, we use horror as a way to process all kinds of trauma. And in her case, I think it was very definitely racial trauma, <laughs> um, just from arrests, experiences in the 60s, watching the clock turn back in real time before she passed away in 2012. So so yeah, that's the uh, the very, very long answer to your short question about how I got into <laughs> horror. Rhonda, take us away. Oh, man. So I'm just so excited to to have a chance to to sit down and chat with you. Um, I, I just uh, saw your panel at the Candyman conference, uh, oh. the whole damn swarm. Yeah, yeah. That was like, uh, that was so amazing. Like to have you and uh, Kamitra Brooks and Robin's, uh, Robin Means, Means Coleman. Coleman. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah, that was, that was so amazing. Um, and I think that one of the things that that I'm always intrigued about, uh, because I've been reading your work since since you started writing. <laughs> oh wow! So, yeah. So I mean, uh, you are my absolute favorite horror writer, and uh, it's very impactful for me to be able to see that uh, not only are you this fabulous woman who is writing horror, but like you are bringing this almost everydayishness to it uh, mm -hmm. because these characters like for instance like my favorite uh, short story uh, that you wrote was The Lake uh, I was really excited to see it in Hard War how do you balance that bringing like just this everyday thing to, to this fantastic well First of all, thank you for all the compliments embedded in that question. I <laughs> I truly appreciate it. And it's I'm just glad to still be in print all these years later. I started publishing in 1995. <laughs> so I don't take that for granted. And, and I truly appreciate it. In terms of that, uh, you know, in some ways, I feel like it goes back to the lessons I learned young from uh, Guru Stephen King, you know, in terms of how he approaches characterization and horror. It, because, you know, my personal theory is that there are a lot of Stephen King fans who who don't necessarily consider themselves horror fans, probably couldn't name five other horror writers, honestly, maybe five movies, but not five writers. And they're just hooked on him and what he does and what I think all great horror writers try to do is create a world if it's if it's reality based okay mm -hmm. i mean fantasy is a little bit different but if it's reality based horror you want to create a world that your readers can touch he was very famous for using brand names you know products and consumer items that people were very familiar with cuz that just man when i saw the word emergency y'all are too young but there was a tv show called emergency and it aired in the 70s. I was watching it later, okay? Um, but but I, I used to get all these Tiger Beat and Teen Beat magazines from garage sales, also way before y'all's time. But there was there was this, this I love that show. That was my show. I would come mm -hmm. home every day to watch that at 3.30. And when he put emergency, like there was a line where Danny is in the hotel and he said the hose jumped off the wall. It was like a hose from emergency or something like that. It blew my mind. Like I was in, I was all the way in. And I think 
in whatever way, not necessarily by using the names of TV shows or brands, but what, and that's not all he does, obviously, but in whatever ways I can, I'm trying to create that three-dimensional world. You can feel and touch characters, you know, like a lot of writers, many of my protagonists are me, different versions of me, (laughs) me, if I was younger, me, if I were older, me, if I was a man, me, if, you know, it's like (laughs) you've been to life through sort of me 2.0 and get uh, all these different characters. So there is that, you know, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to express myself through my, like, what am I afraid of? Who do I wish I could be like? You know, not the lake. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Right. I don't know. (laughs) So that's about a monster uh, (laughs) in more ways than one. But it's, it's populating it with characters you care about and a world that feels like our own. And my philosophy is once you have them with that, all all you need to do is make a pencil roll across the table with no explanation. And that's scary. (laughs) What I mean? Like, yes, I love that. (laughs) Like what, what? (laughs) I I like that phrase. I've never heard that before. Yeah. yeah, I love that. (laughs) I mean, never mind a rabid dog, like in Cujo or whatever, a haunted house. It's like the tiniest thing that -hmm. your character cannot explain or understand will scare the hell out of you. And, And that's when, when, you know, you've got them. You're really good at, I actually just finished Ghost Summer for the first time earlier today. Oh, thank you. Okay, good. And you're really, really good at writing kids. Like, the way you do it is just, (laughs) there's a lot of heart into it. But what I thought was so, uh, I guess, magnetizing was the fear. The fear Mm. of not even supernatural, just of human monsters or day-to-day stuff that kids just don't know because they haven't experienced it yet. There's really no question there. Um, Rhonda, I... (laughs) Rhonda, I do... I really want to hear... And I, I'm, I don't know how else to lob this to you besides you and Tanana River both, um, you both in the academic background. I'd really like to hear a question focused on that. And that's really the best I got for that. <laughs> Ask something oh, really yeah. super, super smart. That's Smarter than I can ask. <laughs> um, and I, do, I, I will like to say, because I know you're at uh, UCLA. I didn't yes. have the grades for it, but like... At, <laughs> Like a lot of people, I guess, my age or a little bit older, um, George Lucas was, he was the big deal for me growing up. And I wanted to be a filmmaker. I still would like that one day, but I didn't have the grades for UCLA. But that was my boyhood dream school. It's just, uh, it's a magical place in my in my heart. And it's pretty cool that I can actually talk to a professor from from there. So um, you're And to have a horror class there. So Yeah, you know. yeah. That's just like... Cool. Black horror, uh, the sunken place, it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the, is that ever going to be a virtual class at any point? What? How great you mentioned that. See, usually I have to, <laughs> like, I have to like insert the plug. But you know, oh, no, when that because I want to, I want to be a part of it. I'm selfishly asking. <laughs> well, when that course first dropped, and that's a whole story. I love to tell if y'all don't mind hearing it. Yeah, uh, that you see the, anything. It's well, it's it's on my little list of questions, right? I you love see it. these <laughs> these great these great prints behind me by the yes. artist uh, Francesco Francavia, and uh, one of them he asked me what I wanted in addition to mine, and I said Jordan Peele and Tony Todd. So. The Jordan Peele thing is huge. His influence on not just black horror, but horror period, uh, mm. cinema period, really. He's revolutionary. So huge, so revolutionary. I'm a little sad about what's going on with Twitter right now, the uncertainty with Twitter, because it was through Twitter that I got to meet Jordan Peele, invite him to my class. Uh, I was just tweeting about the fact that I was going to teach a class called The Sunken mm-hmm. Place, and the reporter wanted to write a story. The day the story came out, Jordan Peele slid into my DMs, right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and um, wow. yeah, the day. Um, and I said, and, and you know, I, Basically, I asked Monkey Paw, wouldn't it be funny if Jordan Peele, wouldn't it be great if Jordan Peele came to visit my class? Because I'm at a point now in life where I'm not shy about asking for things I want. I'm over that now. (laughs) And like within two hours, he's like, oh, that would be funny. Ha ha. I could surprise them. And that's totally what he did. He surprised the class. We were showing it out. It was the scene with Rose holding the car keys. Spoiler, people. (laughs) 
Rose is not an ally and get out. I know it's a spoiler. I should have seen it by now. That's on you. She's dangling the car keys saying, you know, you're not getting these car keys, babe. And that's the moment we realize he has no allies. It was all a trap. And so the class is sitting there watching that scene. They're really mad. They're talking back to the screen. (laughs) And then we we put the lights up. And we had worked this out beforehand. So I can officially say that I have done a bit with Jordan Peele. I'm, <laughs> I'm claiming that. I'm claiming that because we had That's worked wonderful. it out beforehand. I said, because uh, he's in the hoodie and the baseball cap. So we had the lights down. We left the two seats in the back row empty for him and his assistant. And the plan was I would show that scene, turn up the lights, and then ask, what do you think the director was trying to say about the coveting of Black bodies? And then he would raise his hand. And that's exactly what happened. I asked the question. He raised his hand. "Uh, I have a question. And he walked to the front of the class, and it was pandemonium. Wow. I just just (laughs) tweeted the link, because this is back in 2017. Mm -hmm. I just tweeted, like, the only 10 seconds of his walk up to the front of the class that was made public. Because even though every student in that class had an iPhone and one student did a whole Facebook Live, only 10 seconds made it out into the public and it went viral. I mean, TMZ was calling me when I came home. Okay, it was crazy. (laughs) It was like one of the craziest days of my life. And so much has come out of that and that I've even forgotten what we were talking about at this point. But oh, my class at UCLA. So that's all to say. So that's all to say that. There was so much publicity around my UCLA class. He talked about it on Colbert. I mean, there were a lot of people asking that my husband, who's also a wonderful writer, uh, Stephen Barnes, and I decided to do an online class for the public that wasn't tied to UCLA, no tests, although there is homework, but you do it at your own pace. (laughs) It's a digital download class. And and that was all just to say that it's www.sunkenplaceclass.com. And it's all online. Oh, and in fact, Peel did a class visit for that class. I mean, this was even before Zoom. It was It's a little time capsule now because yeah. it's right before he won his Oscar mm-hmm. that he did like a very informal interview for, I think we had maybe 12 students at the time. So it was incredibly special. And this is the last thing I'll say because I'll never shut up if I, if I keep talking about Jordan <laughs> Peele. But Every single time I've seen him talk about Get Out, and he he visited my UCLA class in person at least three times, plus that Skype interview. He said something new and fresh and smart that I hadn't thought about and hadn't seen in previous readings. I'll give you just one hint. Uh, there was a biblical quote in the screenplay for Get Out, uh, just like there was at the beginning of Nope, except they cut it. Mm. And they cut it. They decided they didn't need it. Uh, and Chris was named as a reference to Christ. Oh. That's what he said in that Skype interview that you get in my online sunken place class. So I'm telling you, it's like, what? He did his Obama impression. Listen. And also, Tony Todd is a guest. So it's not just Peel. You know, it's called the sunken place. But it's not just about Get Out. This is a course about the history of Black horror. And uh, his movie made it so easy to to present that because it gives us sort of something to hold on to. Like, here's where black horror is now. First of all, there's a such thing called black horror. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's something that a lot of people didn't know. Mm -hmm. Certainly not film executives I used to pitch to (laughs) Uh, (laughs) back in the battle days. You cannot even imagine how Get Out changed that overnight. Mm -hmm. Overnight. Not only do they know it exists, but in their minds, it makes money. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's all they need to know. It's like it exists, it makes money. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got two things about that. And then Rhonda, please jump in because I cut you off earlier. Um, the first thing I love, I think it was for us. I could be wrong, but at one of Jordan Peele's movies, I saw him, and I think it was on Twitter. It had to be because someone was saying it was like a thriller. And he goes, "No, this is horror," and he is, you know, for lack of. Phrasing this any other way, he's one of us, and it's amazing. Like he he's a horror fan, right? And he's not hiding it because there's no reason to. And second thing is, I want to hear from you guys. Do you think that um in the sense of uh prolificness and um stamping the industry, um, do you think that Jordan Peele is the modern day Alfred Hitchcock? 
Whew, that's a tough. I know it's not easy. I mean, like that's a loaded question, but I just want to hear what you guys got to say about that. I, I I'm interested. I suspect he doesn't really fool with a lot of those kind of comparisons. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so I'm not going to fool with it either. I'm not going to be uh, one, the one out here spouting it off. No, I, you know, he's really, he's doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are, I can understand why people would, would say that and feel that way. How about that? That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I, I think that I would, I would also not, uh, make the comparison. Um, and I say that simply because uh, what Peel is doing is uh, so different um, that I don't think it's really fair to, hmm. to kind of box him in as, as a comparison to Hitchcock or actually any other filmmaker. We kind of hmm. don't know what his what the totality of his body of work is going to do just yet. I mean, we know it's already done, but like he could, I mean, very well, like exceed some of these comparisons. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I, I don't know. I get it. I get it. But I don't think that I would say that just yet. I was just trying to think of like the biggest name thus far in the horror world, but Yeah. yeah, you guys make great points. So I agree. Fair points. Um, and I think the whole th- idea of the their bodies of work being so different, you know, Jordan Peele yeah. is the modern day Jordan Peele. Um, whether sure. or not we agree with, you know, whether he uh, with comparing him to Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. what does it matter? You know, what what he's doing is really big and really important in the moment. Um, and it's cool to be living in the moment and seeing it and being able to kind of go to the theaters and, and see these mm-hmm. movies as they come out and discuss them and attend to Nana Reeves uh, virtual class. If we are not, you know, can't go to UCLA. <laughs> That's right. Sunken place class, sunken place class.com in case you forgot, just being helpful. Okay, <laughs> Brennan. Um, do you want to go or, or Rhonda? I don't want to cut anyone uh, off. We, we, we've interrupted Rhonda several times. I don't want to step on her toes. So let's throw that. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No, like, I mean, seriously, guys, I have, like, I have questions. Like I did homework, right? <laughs> um, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask was about how, um, uh, you know, in academia, horror mm-hmm. itself has kind of gotten a little bit of a short end of the mm-hmm. stick. Uh, if we're not talking about gothic writing, um, it tends to kind of be shuttled sort of under the rug. But now there are actually like whole fields of study. Like, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when <sighs> there just weren't these things. Uh, no. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Like the fact that that academia is really ready to let horror play, um, you know, as a serious academic, uh, you know, discussion. Thank goodness is all I can say. (laughs) Thank goodness. And I say that for the sake of young creators, Mm -hmm. whether they're filmmakers or prose writers, for too many years, people who had that kind of proclivity were basically discouraged or outright banned, outright banned from writing any kind of speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy, horror. Mm -hmm. But, But also a horror, I've seen cases where a student wrote horror and and kind of got flagged for being potentially dangerous because Whoa. his story was so violent. Wow. Who's making that call though, right? right. I mean I and I I almost hate to bring it up cuz I didn't see previous work. Right, right. But the story I saw was a horror story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's sort of a, and I also uh once a few years ago worked under someone who used to tell a whole group of writers that he wouldn't read horror because it made him laugh. Mm. Okay. So that's where, that's where it started. That's with me uh, as much as I love horror. When I went to uh, on my undergraduate workshop classes at Northwestern university, and I had great instructors there. I, I learned so much, but also a couple of things happened. During those four years, <laughs> I, I got I got leached out of even knowing that I wanted to write horror. I mean, everything oh. that was taught was sort of um, 
contemporary realism epiphany mm-hmm. stories, like where you come to a great realization at the end of the story, right? Mm-hmm, With mm-hmm. all this, of course, there's the realism and the verisimilitude and the deep characterization and the attention to the language, which I love all of that. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of things happening so right. much <laughs> plot wise in those stories, right? And my very first day in one of those workshops, we were all supposed to go around and see our favorite writers. So I said, Toni Morrison, who who wrote Beloved, actually a ghost story, but that's not why I mm-hmm. said it. Also many, you know, just Sula and The Bluest Eye and Tar Baby and Nobel Prize winning. Everybody was nodding, even if they didn't know who she was, they would nod. Right. <laughs> and then I said, and Stephen King and the looks on their faces. Oh. <laughs> when I said Stephen King's name, oh. I learned I better not say that name again. You know what I mean? It's like you're a freshman. You're trying to find your your way. And and I had a science fiction writer friend, same situation. So it, thank goodness yeah. for just the sake of the artists who, <laughs> who will not have to wait as long to discover that they are horror writers or that it's okay and, in fact, important to write and study horror. I'm... I, I, Robin, uh, Dr. Coleman, I don't think she would, Dr. Means Coleman, who wrote the book Horror Noir, that the mm-hmm. documentary was adapted from, I don't think she would mind me saying this, but it, it, <laughs> let's just say that she was not permitted to write that officially toward her tenure. Now, if you really? read Horror Noir, this is a, yeah, that's yes. exactly right. Wow. You know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. a very academic book. Yeah, it is. It a, is. Very well-researched book. Oh. But she literally had to write that in her spare time. That doesn't make any sense. Because they would not accept the subject matter as being weighty enough to count toward her tenure. And this book came out, I think, only 11-something years ago. So this is not a long time ago. Right, right. Uh, oh my gosh, it is like the seminal, it's wow. like one of the cornerstones yeah. of my own research work, right? Like I it's, couldn't do what I do without it. So did, did it's you been misunderstood. I, you know, I don't, she got her book done. That's all that matters. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. believe it's just been reissued or it's just about to be yeah. reissued, updated. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so, so important. And just imagine someone, probably a lot of people who don't have that burning ember of desire in them. Right. right. Like mm. she grew up knowing where Night of the Living Dead was shot and knowing that area and, and that history that was like a part of her DNA. But if she had been just a little less passionate about horror, mm-hmm. she never would have written that book. Right. Wow. Right. Wow. So that's and a different. lot of people don't probably write things or pursue things. I'm sorry to go on and on, but uh, I'm I'm very excited, not just yeah, for me, because I get to teach horror. And right, what is right? <laughs> but really for the students, I'm just yes. excited and the artists. I'm so excited yeah. that their their time has come. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a great point. That 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 would be really sad if she didn't get to do that. I enjoyed the documentary and I know that a lot of people get to learn from it. Um that are living dead, sure you think zombies, but I needed to hear from someone smarter than me what it was really about. Mm-hmm. Um when I was a teenager, because I, mm-hmm. I that's my facade, but I didn't get it right away. Um, it's important. It really is because it, it teaches you history about the past. And I'm not saying this, obviously, to you guys, but to mm-hmm. people listening that might not know. Yeah. Um, Rhonda, did you want to actually hit up uh, some questions from from Facebook as well? Because I know that you got some directed at you um, for yeah, today. Um... Yeah, so I know that uh, one of the questions that I made note of that we got from Twitter was, um, uh, how do you maintain a a long lasting career in in horror? Oh, that was from all my cats too. Yeah, I yeah, I exactly. That. Yeah, that's so why cool. I stood out. That's I was so like, cool. that's a well, famous writer and everything. <laughs> <laughs> one amazing writer asking another one. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm about to be on a panel with her at the uh, Miami Book Fair, which I think Ooh. will be after this air. So it's still mm-hmm. upcoming, which is great. Uh, and also a great question. And there are not, there, you know, there isn't one answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I, I guess mm-hmm. the, the the short test answer I can give, <laughs> and that's hard for me when I get going, um, has been from the very beginning 
when I was an undergraduate, I wasn't just studying creative writing. I mean, in fact, that was sort of my shadow double major. My real major was journalism. Because back yeah. in those days, that meant you could get a job. Back in those days, it meant you could right. get a job, right? <laughs> and that was sort of my pact with my parents. Okay, we'll support you in this writer stuff, but you have to have something you can rely on. And in okay. fact, as an artist, I need that security. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't have a couch surfer mentality, right? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to be like one of those people who comes out to LA to strike their fortune sleeping <laughs> on their friend's couch. That's not me <laughs> at all. I was right out of school. I need a job. And I got a job at the newspaper. Uh, and I did that for 10 years until I was ready to try to write full time. But in getting to the answer to that question, I thought that was the dream. Man, that day I quit my job, <laughs> I thought that was the dream to be a full time writer. Mm. And I did it roughly for 15 years. Wow. And I was then I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> because <laughs> too much, too much uncertainty. Too many ups and downs. Mm -hmm. I really got to the point where I felt like I was putting my inner child out on the street corner to go bring home, you know, the money to support me Mm -hmm. while my adult self is at home chilling. It's what it felt like. I was like, no, no. Remember, you wrote your first two novels while you had a full-time job. The least you can have is a part-time one. So I started ramping up my teaching. And I, and, and I think mm. to me, uh, the, to make it shorter than it was, <laughs> is that the combination of the security uh-huh. and the persistence is what makes the career that I, I don't, I want to be insulated from, oh, is Horror Noir going to be a hit when it comes mm-hmm. out, right? Or, oh, is that book going to be a bestseller? Because so far on the New York Times list, no, it's not. <laughs> so <laughs> so how do you just stay true to your vision? Not mm. worry about what the market is saying is popular this year. It's not going to be popular by the time your book is done. Right. <laughs> stay true to your vision. And the the real, to me, the way to do that is through security, where I'm not writing out of desperation. And I'm not. Oh, I love that. I'm not strictly Mm. writing for money, actually. Uh, I mean, yes, I can get money from writing, but I write out of love, even all this time later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I actually want to go back to the beginning because you had just briefly mentioned we talked a few times about when you started um, and you said that you aren't shy anymore. I respectfully disagree that you were ever shy specifically. <laughs> well, one specific example, because your husband who does a, um, a the afterward for ghost summer and seriously, like that was such a, that is the most beautiful afterward or forward I've ever read. It, it oh. you feel his love for you. That's amazing. Yeah, true. I love hearing those things. But he does mention how um, you had talked to Stephen King to blurb your first book. Well, okay. That's like chutzpah, <laughs> you know? It does. But, I mean, I, I was very, very lucky. Uh, there are very few circumstances in real life where I would have just run into Stephen King. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I was through my job at the Miami Herald, uh, where I worked with Dave Barry, who was in the Rock Bottom Remainders. This would have been in like the mid 90s. Mm. Rock Bottom Remainders was a group of authors who played instruments in a band. Mm. And they were kind of mm. legendary. And the author set, they'll be the first to say that they weren't super good, but they took it seriously and they tried hard. And I believe Stephen King played bass. Um, and I believe so either bass or guitar. I'm I'm mixing up who played what. And I heard again, Miami book fair that they were going to be playing at the Miami book fair. So I, I took my shot. It was more out of fanaticism than anything else because (laughs) I play keyboard, right. And I'm thinking there has to be a way if I could just be in the same like vicinity as Stephen King <laughs> life made, you know, that was where my head was. So I, I talked to Dave Barry in the cafeteria, which is not something I usually did, by the way, <laughs> I just walked <laughs> on over. I was like, Hey, so I hear the rock bottom remainders are going to be playing at the book fair. I uh, I play keyboard. I made my pitch. I'm just saying I made my pitch. <laughs> and in fact, I wasn't even pitching to play with them because that would have been way too grandiose. <laughs> my only pitch was just know I I too 
am an author <laughs> and I play keyboard. And one of these days, it would be great if I could be like in sort of, I don't know, what do they call the spring training or like the, the minor leagues or minor whatever, leagues. <laughs> like the theater, theater leagues or whatever for the rock bottom remainders, like one day in the future. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, wouldn't that be great? And he said, well, Mitch Album is going to be doing vocals for the Elvis number. Do you know how to play jailhouse rock? I did not know how to play jailhouse rock, but I said, yeah, I know how to play jailhouse rock. Yes. And I proceeded. So you're right. That wasn't shy, but I can't even, it's kind of like uh, Beyonce says she has this out of body experience character who takes Uh over on stage. Uh That was who I became Mm. when I realized that Stephen King was coming to Miami and I had to figure out a way to try to at least meet him. And and getting the blurb, I mean, after the meeting, the blurb is is a far easier ask, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I I I figured I had a choice. I could either get his autograph, which I wanted desperately, or I could give him a signed copy of my first novel. Yes, Wait and up. I decided to give him the signed copy of my first novel. And I have to thank, you know, people like Paula Garan, who's an editor, and people in the horror community with the Horror Writers Association. He was just in the directory in those days. Okay. <laughs> you could just send That's him a letter. So weird. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. So they were like, send him a letter. So I did. And the day I came home, I was still working in the Miami Herald and I had made my pitch. I have a book coming out called My Soul to Keep. I would love it. Would you please, here's the deadline, which is always too quick. Would you mind? And it's okay if you can't, you know, whatever. I, I made my, my pitch and it was by mail, I'm sure. Cause by then, you know, I hadn't seen him in, in quite some time, like months. So uh, I came home from work. There's this envelope in my mailbox from Bangor, Maine. Mm-hmm. Anger, it's like a mythic city in my mind, right? Right. From the dark tower. <laughs> and I hold it up to the light, and I can see through the envelope that the letter is only three lines long. Now, in the book of in the world of publishing, it's pretty well understood that if you send uh, a submission to an editor and you get a letter back that is three lines long, that letter says. Thanks, but no thanks. Right, okay. exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not, gonna, it's not your moment right now. So <laughs> I was resigned. I was like, oh, he's, he can't do it. Of course he can't do it. He can't do it. He's David King. He can't do it. I opened the letter. <laughs> it says, dear Tanana Reeve, if I may, fancy, okay, <laughs> if I may, I thoroughly enjoyed the between and I would be happy to read my soul to keep Steve King. Oh, I gave you the Steve. Oh, wow. you're in. <laughs> and when I tell you, I screamed. Oh, I screamed did. in the parking lot. So, yeah, that was, but it wasn't, I, I was still very shy underneath all that, though, you know, and I still kind of have a shy streak, believe it or not. But yeah, in some moments, I have been able to rise to the occasion. I couldn't write it out. You know, I, I, I ran out of, I ran out of, um, I don't know, audacity <laughs> toward the end. Uh, my son was very young and I had a chance to get on stage with the Rock Bottom Remainders and I just couldn't pull that character out that day. You know, that Beyonce alter ego character. Mm-hmm. I was still just me, harried and tired and shy and I I couldn't do it. <laughs> so it's not an everyday, it's not an everyday state. But you played Jailhouse Rock. I did play Jailhouse Rock. I found out wow. later that one of the guys, because they had a few ringers in the band who were actual musicians, you know, so at least keeping the beat and you know, stuff. And um, one of them had turned my uh, my sound down quite a bit. I understand. <laughs> he wasn't ready, but hey, I triumphed, and and I'll and I'll say this about it. Um, Kathy Kamen Goldmark, bless her, was one of the creators of the Rock Bottom Remainders. And she's passed away, but her legacy lived on, lives on. She did a CD back in the day of, of several writers singing. Oh, my gosh. What is the name of that CD? Uh, and I performed Proud Mary. Oh, cool. Which I had done, again, at the Miami <laughs> Book Fair. And Warren Zevon did Ike Turner's part. We didn't record it together, 
but he they 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 mixed it with Warren Zevon singing Ike Turner's part, and uh, I have to uh, I have to Google it because come on, what's, oh, it's called Stranger Than Fiction. Of course, it is Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, quite embarrassingly enough, it is available on Apple Music and iTunes. <laughs> but uh, if you really want, if you want to hear me singing uh, Proud Mary with Warren Zevon, that's that's the cut for you. All our listeners are currently headed there. Yes, I love that. <laughs> We've had a few people that have been blurred by Stephen King. Uh, S.A. Cosby, I think, was the first. And your story just takes it away because, like, it's a, it's just so much cooler when it's through a letter. Like, where me and Brian are of that era where we could appreciate that. Like, that's just way cooler. Snail and, mail, baby. Yeah, and then I, I had one more thing. We're down to 15 minutes. So, R- Rhonda, you, you're going to take away for select whatever questions you want. If it's just yours, it doesn't matter. Um, it's up to you. But I just had one more thing I wanted to comment on, and that's uh, your story um, about uh, Harlan Ellison, um, because there's a lot of funny stories. It, it's in Ghost Summer. Um, oh, oh, I told that story. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and... and only a few episodes we had uh, uh, we had David Morrell and, and Joe Lansdale, and they were talking about Harlan Ellison, and, and Lansdale was making impersonations of Harlan Ellison, which I've never heard before. So we've heard some funny stories about him. Do you have any comment about that? If not, we can move on. Well, um, he was. I'll just say this briefly about him. I didn't know as well. I didn't know him as well as my husband Stephen Barnes, who had known him for you know I'm sure twenty plus years. But I, we spent many times at his home um, and he did call me out of the blue, you know, to not congratulate me on. See, that was the first time I had done that. The first time I gave anyone a signed copy of a book was to Harlan Ellison. Oh, I didn't know like, that. Like someone I didn't know. Like I was at a wow. Horror Writers Association meeting and I was like, and he's he was a rock star. I don't oh, know. I'm not shy. I'll just do this. People don't understand <laughs> I was seeing him as sort of the older version of Harlan Ellison. But if you look back on the old tapes, he was like a really hip, to use the vernacular, uh, rock star. And that is so rare for writers. I don't even think there's an equivalent of a writer now who was as much of a rock star in the public eye Mm -hmm. that Harlan, let me think, you know, because even Stephen King tells a story about how someone was sitting next to him at a baseball game and got excited and said, oh, my God. Isn't that David Bernie? Do you have a pen? People are not (laughs) not seeing us as writers. You have to almost commit a crime to get in the news as a Mm -hmm. as a fiction writer. Okay, so so he was a rock star, Mm. Um, and it was jaw jaw dropping to me that he would call me uh, to correct mistakes in my book, which is exactly what he did. That's what he did. I mean, he was a writer's writer. Also, I have to say, in fairness, very divisive. And there are people who had very uncomfortable encounters with him. It really wouldn't be fair just to wax on and on about, you know, all the, those stories of glory. He 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 said what he thought, and he could be sharp with people. Um, but if you were in his inner circle, no one was was more generous. I actually have, I am. I love this. I have a bookshelf right there with you know favorite paperbacks and whatnot. And this is one of them. Harlan Ellison, Dangerous Visions. It's one of uh, I think three in a series of his anthologies. For those that are just listening, um, check it out. And yeah. I love that story. That's even that's a different <laughs> kind of a very uh, a different version than than uh, in your your collection which oh is, is it i don't know how i toned it down whatever I, anyway it's all true it's all true just out of, i give him the book and i guess my mm-hmm. card was in there i was pretty slick for someone who was shy i guess but, uh, <laughs> you're talking about literally the biggest legends called me i mean they called me out of the blue on a landline you know it's just weird you know and it was and i was so excited that it was him i was in shock already but then he just started, he said, I read your book. And I was like, oh, my God. Ah. And then before I could even process that he had read my book, he was listing mistakes, <laughs> <laughs> including one. And I think I might have mentioned this in, in Ghost Summer, uh, one I still remember to this day. And not every writer will agree with this. So I'm going to say something controversial. But what he said to me was always say said in your mm-hmm. dialogue tags. Mm-hmm. Don't say exclaimed, whispered, shouted. Mm-hmm said it screams amateur if you're not because no one reads that they skip right over it (laughs) 
And I, I don't, it's not necessarily an absolute rule, mm-hmm. but I will say that as someone who's taught writers for many years, not that very fine writers don't, whisper it is very handy because nothing else mm-hmm. is, a, you can't express a whisper without saying it was a whisper. But an exclamation point, you can see he's shouting, right? So mm-hmm. um, you can pretty, I think he's right about that one. Yeah, if I know. say used to this day, to this day. Rhonda, take us away. Yeah, Last worked. 10 minutes, please, miss. So, okay. So, and this is a, a lot in line with a, a question that I wanted to ask, but also was repeated on Twitter. Who is uh, the favorite character of yours that you've ever written? We won't Ooh. tell your other, we won't tell your other characters what you say. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a hard question. Yeah, that's oh hard. my gosh. And you'd think uh, no one's ever asked me that. I'm not sure. Actually, has anyone ever asked me that? That is, but not lately. <laughs> not lately, because you know the ones that I'm just going to cheat my way through this answer. Because I, it's hard. You want me to help you? It's Angie. So. I'm going to sort through my thoughts. <laughs> I'm going to sort through my thoughts, and so maybe I land on someone. But in the meantime, I get to mention a whole bunch of different characters. So, um, I, there was a time I would have answered uh, Dawit from My Soul to Keep, the African Immortal. Okay, because he seemed to have a real hold on readers in in a way that was very unexpected to me. Oh, okay, okay. And to this day, so many people love Dawit that I kind of might have considered him a favorite, but he really was never my favorite. In fact, honestly. I thought readers would hate Dawid. I had him do like the worst possible things I could think of. <laughs> no matter what he did, they forgave. I'm not going to spoil it, but trust me, he did a lot to yeah, test yeah. this relationship. <laughs> and readers are like, oh, but he's so, but he's so beautiful. It's like, you can't even see him. He's a character in a book. <laughs> Yeah, that whatever you painted in your head is is more important than what he just did. So oh. I was I was trying to play with that line, like uh, you know, is there any such thing as a good monster? You know, this whole thing. Right, and, right. And they just were like, yeah, there is. So sure, you did it. You created him. You created him. <laughs> um, I guess my favorite. Let me say this: my favorite grown woman care. Oh, I do have an answer. I think my favorite grown woman care. I have two: one grown up, one kid. Because I have to shout out my child protagonist. Um, the grown woman character favorite is Angela in The Good House. I knew it. Yes. You did I call it. You did Angela. call it. Yes. I did call I it. I think she is such a badass. Yes. Is it fair to say that's a fan favorite book, too? I mean, it really still, I mean, for a long time, it was my soul to keep. I feel like The Good House is gaining ground now in more yeah. circles, maybe since the haunting of Hill House. Yeah. And, and, and you know, post Jordan Peele and Victor Laval and, and writers like that, the push mm-hmm. to find more diverse writers, I think The Good House has found more mainstream horror readers mm-hmm. than My Soul to Keep did. But back when I was mostly read by Black readers who mm-hmm. didn't even know they liked horror, it was just... <laughs> Black books were huge in the 90s. There mm-hmm. were all these black bookstores, all these commercial books. And so a lot of publishers were just thrown against the wall to see if it would stick. It's not like they were looking for a horror novelist. They absolutely were not. They just thought, let's see if it'll stick. Let's see. Okay, we just did this uh, romance novel. We just did this mystery. We just did it. Let's see. And it was it was a golden time. It was a golden, beautiful time to enter publishing and during that time, My Soul to Keep was the absolute driving. I mean, I was writing book after book after My Soul to Keep, and everybody was still talking about My Soul to Keep, which is great. But mm-hmm. also, <laughs> it's a good problem. Like, but I also wrote like some other stuff. But I think The Good House has reached uh, the mainstream horror audience in, in a deeper way, which I hope will change soon. You know, um, My Soul to Keep is... In development, although it has been mm-hmm. in development and in and out of development literally since it was published. So know that. <laughs> but it has never been in development at a time quite like this one. Like today, right. I just saw a trailer for Octavia Butler's Kindred. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, if Octavia Butler couldn't get adapted. And what hope did the rest of us have? 
Right. So it's finally an indication. Oh, okay. This is opening up. This is a real thing where, where maybe it could, you know, so fingers crossed, but Angela and not to spoil too much, but to go from knowing absolutely nothing about the curse on your family. Yes. To figuring out what to do and how to do it. Listen, she, she is, she is the one I hope to channel. (laughs) <laughs> when whatever it is you know because that's the thing with horror it's not going to be probably a demon or a curse maybe i don't know it probably i'm just gonna say yeah i personally don't think it will be that just me personally or a ghost <laughs> ghost ghosts just want you to know they were there but when we face whatever we're going to face i think the reason i write these characters and the reason i read these characters and i watch these characters incessantly in these horror movies is like well what are you going to do yeah. What are you going to do about that? Right. You know, like I hate it when like in a movie, like four or five people are staying in a house together. There's all the shenanigans between different groups, different people doing their stuff. They're all having weird experiences. Literally no one is sharing those experiences with the other people. Right. They're taking that on their own burdens. Like, oh, no one will believe you. <laughs> and then there's this magical moment in the kitchen or wherever where one person mentions something kind of shy and the other was like, wait. I saw that too. And like now we're having a meeting now. And that, I love that moment. I love that moment in a horror movie when they have the meeting, because that means they're going to try to figure out what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing I want to know. Like when, when the time happens, who do I have to be? How do I have to be? What shouldn't I do? Lots of examples of that too. Right. What shouldn't I do <laughs> when that hits the fan? You know, I mean, the people bursting down your door may not be zombies. Mm-hmm. You still better figure out not to trip and fall and pick up something heavy. You know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's my favorite adult protagonist and my favorite child protagonist. You all don't know yet because uh, I have a novel coming out next year called The Reformatory. It's about a haunted reformatory, children's oh. prison. And it's based on my real life family history. I have a great uncle who died at the Dozier School for Boys in Mariana, Florida in 1937. And I I wanted to write nonfiction, but it's just not my thing. And plus, there are books by actual survivors out there. I said, I'm going to fictionalize this and and try to fix it. Right. I'm going to try to fix it. So I said it in 1950. And Robert Stevens, currently the character is named after my true life relative, my great uncle. Uh, And it's about this 12 year old boy who was sentenced to a haunted reformatory where he's scared of the haints, but soon realizes that the ones to really worry about are the guards and develops a frenemy relationship with a haint. And while, while his 17 year old sister is working on the outside to try to get him out. So it's, it's also a portrait of Florida history. What did a small Florida town look like in 1950? You know, where would you find a civil rights lawyer in 1950? That's what my father is. My father's a civil rights lawyer, 88 years old. He helped me write one of the scenes in a court, uh, in a judge's chamber based on his civil rights work. So Robert Stevens is my new favorite protagonist because that poor boy has to go through hell. I mean, you wake up and you're a Tanana Reeve do novel. What are you going to do? You're going to go through hell. <laughs> but I think his journey, like journeys with a lot of child protagonists, it just has sort of more of a sense. I mean, it can be scarier because mm-hmm. a child is in peril. But there's something about Robert's superpower is adaptability. Okay. And I think that that's why I like child protagonists because they are still learning about the world. So if it just turns out that part of this next stage is you have to deal with this curse or you have to deal with this ghost, that's just like, okay, now we got to do this. (laughs) Yesterday, I learned how to ride a bike. Today, I got to go hunt down a a ghost. So it's they they just accept it in a way that adults, we get frozen and we're like, this can't be happening. It's like, yeah, it is happening. The kids see it's happening and they just charge in, right? Sometimes they get hurt. They don't know any better. But we are like, this can't be real. This, yeah, hello. First thing you don't do in a horror movie 
is go into a coma when you're right. confronted with the killer with the lines. This can't be happening. That does not help you. <laughs> Rhonda and uh, Brennan, uh, our time's about up. Do you guys want to do uh, final thoughts and then say good night? Rhonda and Brennan? That, yeah. That's okay with me. Yeah, okay. I was waiting for yes or no. Um, okay, so we'll start with you. Um, uh, Tana- God, I was going to say Miss Dew, but I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tanana Reeve is fine. Yeah, Tanana Reeve. Uh, <laughs> you're a professor, so I'm like, what do I say? Okay, sorry. That's just my dumbass mind going Professor Dew. Oh. No, that's okay, really. Freddie, get this is serious. Um, so Tanana Reeve, what do you what do you think? Uh, what are your final thoughts? I'm sorry. I'm a little, little flustered around you. Uh, Talking in this episode, some guests do that to me. I apologize. Oh well, it just I I feel like I was kind of going on and on at times. I love it was horror. Awesome. I yeah. love horror. <laughs> I love people who love horror. I think that there is a real relationship to our love for this genre and our level of preparedness. And you know, not to take it on too uh, gloomy a turn, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty facing us. In this country, around the world, really, a lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of political corrections, meaning like things swing one way and then they swing back and then they swing. And, you, you know, so a lot of people are scared. And like everyone, I get scared. And what I do when I'm feeling scared is, you know, besides donating to candidates or trying to amplify messages or, you know, do work out on social media, I watch a horror movie. I watch a horror movie, uh, zombies, haunted houses, trips to the woods. I love that aerial shot (laughs) and like where the car is on the lonely road and heading into the woods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I mean, it's a cliche, but that's the shot that tells me to keep watching (laughs) (laughs) because I love that. In fact, I'm writing one of those right now. I'm writing a treatment. Finally, where I get to have my aerial Ooh. shot of the car going into the woods. I've been waiting on my career. Directed by Jordan Peele. Fingers crossed. Well, who knows? That'd be amazing. Hey, maybe one day directed by Tanana Reeve Dew. You never oh, know. Yes. Better. Oh, no. yes. You never right. know. I've learned how to dream mind. big. I've learned yeah. how to dream big because the yes. world has changed a lot yes. since when I first started even thinking about publishing. And anything is possible. Yes. So also, don't, be, don't let people make you feel ashamed for liking horror, no matter what kind of horror you like. Mindless killing, that's okay. Redemptive <laughs> horror, social justice horror, it's all fine. Because it's helping us cope. And on an unconscious level, it's helping us prepare to meet those real life moments that won't be zombies, but will feel worse. Right? Yeah. Yes. yes. And who you are in those moments really matters. So I think we're all in training for that moment, but we're doing it in a way that feels fun and feels like a release. Damn, well said, uh, R- Rhonda. Uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm just really excited uh, that that Pat and Brennan asked me to to come on and kind of me chat too. With you, yeah. yeah. So thank you so so much um, um, for your insights. Uh, thank you so much for doing this work and, and for continuing it. Uh, uh, it's really, really um, important uh, that that you're teaching because that's how we keep these things going. That's how we keep the genre fresh. That's how we keep it from going stagnant is to continue teaching and working within it. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you for that. I've enjoyed talking to you. Brennan, go ahead, buddy. Tanana Review, you have been such a pleasure to talk to. Uh, we would love to have you back to talk about the Reformatory in June. Uh, I hope people will pick that up. And everybody else got a chance to gush, so now it's my turn. He must I, have done some research, because I'm like, how do you know it's coming out of June? <laughs> <laughs> um, He's a smart one of it, us, too. Honestly, so. <laughs> I looked it up to see, uh, to see what publisher it was, to see oh, if it yeah. was somebody that I could talk to about getting an early copy. Um, oh, okay, so, great. <laughs> Ooh, I, I love this book so much. This is oh, thank you. You know, when when somebody talks about what what books you need to read as a horror fan, what are must-read books, this is one of them. Um, it's the 
rare book that is, I think my copy is like 595 pages and it earns every one of it's them. It's so long. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's so worth your time. Um, it's, it's not one of those like, wow, that, you know, that book needed a, another editor or anything like that. Like it needed to be 600 pages for that story. And I loved every minute I of it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And one more thing I'm going to throw out because Rhonda is too modest to do it. I think everybody needs to pick up this book right here. Yeah. Oh, what's it Hell hath no fury like a, uh, sorry, hell hath no sorrow like a woman haunted. Um, Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. Rhonda writes like she is trying to <laughs> just scratch the skin off and then, you know, rip the rip the healing scab off the wound just she does not hold back wow what did you do? didn't even mention you wrote fiction i didn't um <laughs> that's why you have us rhonda yeah. yes thank you thank you guys great congratulations that. now i got the hot face <laughs> i just want to thank you um for I, i've wanted you on for me and brennan wanted you on for i don't know two three years now so it's amazing that we got this thank you to jonathan mayberry for helping us um uh, with that and um Rhonda, you your reaction is just amazing this show is we we, we couldn't even prepare to like connect like a big fan of someone you admire like that's awesome yes i was telling my wife about yes. that before we started i'm like this feels good i want to keep doing this yes. <laughs> you know um so i'm gonna end there i don't want to keep babbling on because i feel very silly with you smart people <laughs> um <laughs> next episode <laughs> next episode 173 is with cena palayo um she is the author of the uh I think she calls it one of the children series. Well, crime scene is her latest, but uh, Children of Chicago was a big one last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if she's going to listen to this, so hopefully not, because Rhonda is actually joining us again for that. She's supposed to be surprised, <laughs> yeah, so but, eh, whatever. Yeah. I, I just said, <laughs> well, you just <laughs> gave away the surprise. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I didn't even know that. <laughs> what do you tell you? He's a smart one of us, too. Um, <laughs> thank you again, Rhonda. Thank you for joining us, Brendan. Thank you, and listeners and watchers. Thank you. Stay tuned for next week. And as always, you have many podcasts to choose from. Uh, Thank you for listening to us.